Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are live here in Eastern Pennsylvania and tuning in from all around the world. This is Steve Zika, Steve, not just one host of the award-winning podcast, Dominate the Deal. Today's guest is reinvention career coach and entrepreneur, John Tarnoff. He's a great friend of mine. I have a lot of respect for him. A true journeyman in the sense he's been a 40-year veteran of the entertainment industry, specifically in Hollywood and Los Angeles. He's an author of his recent book, Boomer Reinvention, How to Create Your Dream Career After 50. He's been responsible for some great movies such as Pink Floyd, The Wall, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Before I get into it, that's just a snapshot of the value that he brings. So, ladies and gentlemen, give a warm welcome to our guest, John Tarnoff. Thank you for hopping on. Hey, Stephen, great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. So being my pleasure. So being a journeyman, let's hop right into this. You started off in the entertainment industry and now you're a reinvention career coach and you consult people. Tell right. me like your story right. and a little bit of background there. Okay. So yeah, so it, 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 I, I am definitely in the, in the world of either generalists or specialists. I am a generalist. I, I kind of grew up a uh, pretty much voracious reader. I was interested in all sorts of topics, kind of as an astronomy freak as a little kid. And then I was into cars and trains growing up. And, you know, I wanted to be an architect at one point. And then I thought I wanted to be a journalist. And uh, my parents tried to get me to go to law school. That didn't work out. Uh, and, I, and I became really, really interested in film, loved movies, uh, loved cameras, uh, kind of came into this in a strange way as a camera geek and uh, studied that in college, studied filmmaking in college. And then one summer I got a chance to be a production assistant on uh, for a small TV commercial company in New York City. And I just fell in love with film production. And I thought, wow, this is, this is for me. So I... Uh, uh, got out of undergrad in, uh, in, uh, in the East Coast. I went to school in Massachusetts and I kind of got in my car and I drove out to LA and I just kind of planted myself out here. Went to film school here for a little while, got really bored with that, thought I gotta get a job and found a job working in film distribution. Did that for a couple of years, uh, became a talent agent, which was a great way to get into the business side of things because I wanted to find out how things tick, why one script gets made and another script doesn't get made, all those distinctions. Um, it's a very complex field, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things are changing. You're changing the taste of the, of the American public, of the global public. So it's really a volatile uh, business. And I'm not a particularly volatile guy. I'm kind of a stability freak. But um, I found myself in this business and learned to adapt to it. And as a result, and I talk about this now in retrospect, uh, looking back on my career in the solid entertainment side, which, which lasted until about 2010, uh, I spent about two years on average in a job. So there's some, some short things that didn't work out at all. Got fired a few times. As a matter of fact, I got fired out of my 18 jobs in 35 years, I got fired from seven of them. So I joke about the fact that in my career in entertainment, 
I was fired 39% of the time. And people, people kind of chuckle at that and it, it kind of makes people feel a little bit awkward to talk about that. Uh, but I, I bring it up because it's a really important thing to look at when you're in a career crisis or a career transition and to realize that getting fired from a job is not fatal, it's not shameful, it's not always about you or your performance. It, it very often has more to do with what's going on in the company and you happen to be the scapegoat. So particularly now that the rest of the economy has become kind of like entertainment in the sense that it's so volatile and things are changing so much and you know companies are pivoting left and right all the time and not really sure where they're going. Uh, people have to be expecting that their jobs aren't going to last. And for the older generations that I work with uh, most closely, uh, this is, this is a kind of a big disconnect because we were raised to believe that you got a good education, that entitled you to get a good job, and you lasted in your job for 40 years, and then you got to retire. Well, that world is no longer in existence. So after those 35 years of entertainment, um, kind of before that, I started seeing the handwriting on the wall. I thought, you know, <clears throat> I want to do this forever. And I became more and more interested, uh, not just in the in the content side, but in the people side. And not so much why does this project get made and this other project doesn't get made, but why is this person successful and that person's not successful? What, what are they doing that's different? So this kind of got me back to school and I took a psychology degree, a master's degree um, uh, in the early 2000s because I really wanted to pivot to doing something that was gonna be more about people. And that led me to a great job at uh, DreamWorks Animation. So I kind of had this bridge job in a funny way where I was doing all sorts of really interesting people development uh, work for them. Uh, and they have a great company, uh, artistic uh, talent, technical talent. And uh, it was a great marriage of the minds. And uh, did a lot of work with them, uh, recruiting kids out of uh, university programs. And they'd never done that before. And I'd never done that before. So it was a kind of a big discovery process, working with their internal uh, training uh, programs and revamping all of that. So when the tide shifted uh, in the industry during the, um, the last uh, recession, 2008, 2009, they were kind of batting down the hatches on all these new initiatives. And, and I went to them, I said, is there, is there anything left for me to do here? And they kind of, I was reporting to the COO and she said, you know, we love you, we love what you've done, but I, I really don't think there is. And I said, okay, well, you know, I guess it's time to move on. And it was, a, it was a really interesting experience for me because I'd never been in a situation like that before where it was kind of a mutual agreement. It was no longer about these short-term questions about, well, you know, you, know, you know, the administration is changing and you're part of the old administration, so you're getting fired. Or uh, you're wrong for this position and, and you're fired. Or it's just ending and the film is over and let's all go get another job. Uh, this was, uh, this was interesting. This was a, a different way of, uh, of transitioning uh, from one job into another. And I decided it was time for me to go out on my own. So that's how I got to 
this uh, consulting period and coaching period in my life, uh, and then eventually got into the uh, career coaching for people over 50. That's, that's a lot of value right there. I think you mentioned some really good points, right? You talk about how almost like there's a cultural difference now, right? There's, you grew up, like my parents grew up. They always taught me since I went to college, it was go to college, get a job. But right. I feel right. like the education system's broken in a way because there's this misperception that by having that degree, that's almost your security blanket. Right, and, and that's wrong, yeah. 100%. So transitioning into you being a reinvention career coach, when you talk to these people at first initially, like, do you try to get the background of where they are right now, or do you try to fit, focus on the skills that will help them transition into the career that they ideally want? Well, it's a little bit of both. And I, th and I think you bring up a really interesting point about education and, and the way we think of education uh, and the kind of the traditional approach that you're talking about from your parents. And I like to say that the, the old school way of looking at this is that you've got those three phases, right? Like I was talking about before, it's like education, career, retirement. And today I think you've got to look at it differently. And, and as, as, uh, as I think I was saying to you before, I, I co-run this graduate program for Carnegie Mellon University that's based in Los Angeles. It's an entertainment degree, it's a kind of like an MBA for entertainment management degree. Okay. And uh, so I work with a lot of, of students in their 20s who are kind of going into their first professional uh, experience, their first job. And the, the interesting thing about you know, education being broken in a sense is that real education is lifelong. You know, it's not about the degree, right? The degree is kind of like the start but um, it's, you know, your, your ability to do something is your real credential, right? The credential is like nice. It kind of tells you that, okay, yeah, you've, it, it says you've completed something and you've, you've studied something and you're, you're something of an expert in that area, but that's the past, right? What, do you, what have you got for me today and what are you going to have for me tomorrow? So that's why you got to think about education as this lifelong experience. And I think the most important thing that anybody can, can do at the beginning of their career and actually really throughout their career is work on their self-knowledge and their, their understanding of who they are, what they're good at, what they like to do, you know, how they relate to people, how they communicate these self-awareness skills, I think, are the most important uh, metric that we can adopt to support our career. Because then that makes us really resilient to change. Because you know where you want to go. You know who you get along with. You know what you're good at. And you can focus on that. You can learn to promote that. You can follow that into many, many different iterations professionally. And I think that becomes a, a better way of looking at career development than just focusing specifically on skills, which is important and skills are very important, but skills are always changing, right? So you wanna keep up your skills, but you wanna make sure the skills are applicable and relevant, and then figure out what are the skills coming up that I need to acquire to stay in the game. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. I was, I think there was a quote by Mark Twain that said, I never let education get in the way of my learning. That was a I really good that. point that, that's it's a really great. good point you brought up. I was thinking about that. I was reading, um, I was reading a book by Indian entrepreneur. His name's Nick Sengal. He's very big into email marketing and being an entrepreneur, being a digital entrepreneur. And he said, entrepreneurship is not what you do. It's who you are. And I think, you really, I think you really bring up a good point, whereas you're always developing your skills. And by focusing on yourself and having a good identity of who you are, where you want to go, it'll allow you to take everything about you, your essence almost, and find that career that's ideal for you instead of having to find the career first. And then if it doesn't work out, then you got to almost scramble and react. Yep. Yeah, I think that's really accurate. I, I love that, uh, that quote from the Indian entrepreneur. And it, it kind of it dovetails with what I tell people about their LinkedIn profile. And specifically in the about section of your LinkedIn profile, uh, people mess this up a lot. People don't know what to put in that about section. And they think that they should put the kind of the summary sentence from their resume, uh, or they'll kind of uh, summarize all of their open positions, or they'll actually kind of copy and paste the entire resume into the about section, which is so wrong because the about section is your opportunity to tell people who you are, what motivates you behind what you do, some of the key successes that were meaningful for you and the people you affected, the ROI, and an aspirational statement about where you want to go in the future. So you really want to be able to engage people with the who as opposed to the what. Because at the end of the day, and you know, and you, you certainly know this from your experience, you want to work with people who who get you and you get them, and you know, you wanna you wanna feel good about the people that you go into work with every day. And those are the key decision factors that go into offering someone a job. 100%. So in the about section, it's, it's less about the credentials and it's more about the value and how you can not only help people solve their problems, but also build, you know, a great relationship. With Absolutely them. right. Because when you think about it, the way LinkedIn's laid out, the experience section is where you put your resume, right? A good point. I wanted to ask you something. I mentioned this earlier, right? That there's almost you go to college, you graduate, and you get in a career. And I think there was a study done I was reading the other day where it's people change careers about three, four, five times in their life. So my question is when you're helping these baby boomers, when you're helping the people of you know the generation of 56 year olds, right? How do you help them transition from, say, you know, a white collar to a blue collar job or say from a blue collar to a white collar? Right. Well, I don't really think of it so much in terms of, of white collar, blue collar. I think of it in terms of um, really it's an internal process. So it, it, I really encourage people to kind of do a deep dive into who they are, what they like doing, what they're good at and to 
look back over the years that they've been in business and kind of take inventory. And so ironically, the first skill that I teach people or that I encourage people to do, because something that anybody can do, you don't have to go to school to learn how to do it, is to keep a journal, keep a daily journal, handwritten journal, and just write whatever comes up. And it can be, you know, what am I gonna do today? What's my plan? It can be, you know, I was thinking about this thing that really bugged me the other day and, you know, uh, something's going on at work or I'm out of a job and I'm really scared I'm not gonna get another job or whatever comes up. Every day you write a page and you listen for the messages that are coming up from your unconscious mind. So I'll give you an example, if I can remember the specifics of it from, from my, my journal entry yesterday. I was feeling rushed and I was feeling pressed. I was like, oh, I don't have time to do this. I really don't want to be doing this. Um, but I know my technique. And so I started writing about the fact that I felt pressed for time. I felt stressed. There were things I wanted to do. I didn't want to be sitting and writing the journal. And, and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to write about my resistance today and, and kind of complain to myself that I have this commitment with myself to write in this stupid journal every day. And lo and behold, I was about two thirds of the way down the page and an idea hit me about uh, someone that I hadn't thought about for a long time. I don't know why I thought about this guy. There's something going on in the synapses. And I thought, oh my God, I haven't thought about this guy. And he relates perfectly to something that I'm trying to get done and I need to talk to him about this. And, and I realized that I hadn't been following my own prescription about keeping up with my network and that here was a great opportunity to do that. Now, 10 minutes earlier, if you had told me that I would get that insight about this, this whole aspect of, of my network and, and this person, I mean, it would have been a complete surprise, right? So the mind works in interesting ways. And if you kind of give yourself an opportunity to, in a way, distract your conscious mind from the resistance, the limitations, um, the limiting beliefs that you have about yourself, your, your unconscious, you know, the, the stuff that's going on on the inside of you is a tremendous resource of support for what you want to do. So that's the, that's the first step. It's, and, and then to kind of get to your question about, you know, where do you have people go? I think there's a, there's a, there's a thread. There's always a thread. There's a, there's a series of breadcrumbs that people have about what they've done, what they want to do, what gives them a sense of meaning and purpose and, and fulfillment. Um, and then the other factor, which is really important here, is the feedback from close and trusted advisors. You gotta get feedback. You gotta talk to the people who know you well, who have been with you for a long time. It's family, it's colleagues. I think, I think talking to an ex-boss is a fantastic exercise if you can stomach it. Uh, you're gonna get a lot of important feedback. They're gonna tell you, hey look, you've always been good at this thing. Or, uh, why are you trying to do that? You have no background in that. Why don't you do this? And you'll think, well, why are they saying this? So you get a chance to kind of talk about this. And you come out of these conversations 
with some important feedback. It's all about research in a funny way. It's all about putting all of these data points together and, and giving it some time to really coalesce into a plan. And you may realize that, oh, uh, I thought I wanted to drop everything and open up, I don't know, a bait shop. Uh, but, because I've always loved to fish. But what I really want to do is take the people skills that I was so good at in my, you know, uh, uh, accounting job and actually uh, do more work in education, uh, training people to be, uh, you know, better at customer relations in the accounting field. So, you know, you, you, you take something that you know, but you add something else that really means something to you on a heartfelt level, and you create your own value proposition on that basis. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but for a lot of people who are graduating college, in living in these uncertain times, right? They wanna find something where they can feel fulfilled, and they feel like they can be truly successful at. What is a value proposition? And I know you mentioned, you started to mention how to build one, but what exactly is a value proposition? The value proposition is a combination of who you are, what you can do, how you do it, and the results that you deliver. So you're actually creating and promoting a specific result that's got a, an audience. There's a customer for this, right? And your value proposition is the solution that your target customer has. And your ability to articulate that concisely, effectively, um, and in a engaging way is what's going to get you the work that you want to get. So okay. back to your question about coming out of college, I think at the beginning of a career, it's hard to really know where you're going to fit. And, and one of the things that I say to my grad students a lot, they say, you know, I'm interested in this aspect of the industry, and, uh, but I, I haven't been able to get any traction uh, on that. But I'm getting offers over here in this area. I'm not quite as interested in that. And I say, take the offer because you want to get your foot in the door in your field and you don't yet know exactly how you're going going to perform or what your strengths and weaknesses are what your preferences are you gotta you gotta gotta give it a shot you gotta you gotta see in a way the the best at this stage in your career uh having a lousy experience in a job is a phenomenally positive experience because you know what you don't want right and it helps narrow down that series of selections so that you can actually create the niche that best describes you, that best expresses your strengths and the value that you can provide for others. So that's where you want to be going. And it may take you a while to get there. And you may kind of boomerang around a little bit, uh, experimenting um, and trying out different aspects, different jobs, different responsibilities. Uh, and and you'll find it. 
but the key is to kind of stay open, keep moving, keep iterating, and little by little, you'll figure it out. Now, having said that, there are people who kind of come out of school and go, I want to do this. And they're really, really clear about it. Maybe they've been doing it since they're 12 years old. And that's great. Uh, and for those people, I would say, go for it. But also recognize that if you hit a wall, maybe that is an indication that you need to be doing something else. So no matter what you're doing, you just got to stay open. So whether, you, whether or not you have a clear-cut idea of what you're doing, you're still always building the skills and you're always building the value. Exactly. So that you can give the value back. Exactly. Exactly. So the question that I was actually just thinking about now, right? Let's say for the people that you coach, the people you consult, they're older. Okay. Let's say they had a bad experience. Could have been they got laid off, um, furloughed, whatever the case may be. And they realize that they are seeing that writing on the wall. Yep. How do you coach yep. these people to take that bad experience in an interview and turn it into a positive one? This is such a great question. And it really is the key to so much of the discomfort and the discouragement that people have um, in their late careers when they hit a wall. And, you know, it's, ba it's baggage, right? We all are going to accumulate baggage. We all make mistakes. Uh, and we all have bad things that happen to us that are not our, our, our fault. And we tend to kind of hang on to that. And it's, it's a bit of a kind of a fight or flight response sometimes where you say to yourself, oh, I'm never getting in that situation again. And you try to uh, eradicate it from your mind. And then you get to the job interview and they say, hey, uh, tell me about this period. Tell me about this job. Why'd you leave so fast? Right? And you're right. thinking, oh, man, why did I leave that on my resume? And I have a whole passage in my book where I talk about this. I had one of those gigs. I had a, I had a job. It's a, kind of a bad period. And uh, I had been with the company for a couple of years doing work that was okay, uh, but I, it, I took the job kind of as a reaction to a bad experience in an earlier job. And I was working with a couple of friends and they, had, they were building this business and it was okay, but it really wasn't for me. It really wasn't what I should be doing. And so I was with them for a couple of years and they didn't pick up my contract and it was okay. Uh, I didn't really want to be there. But then I got this other offer. I was kind of rushed by this other company and the CEO really wanted me in there, but it turns out he was the only guy who wanted me in there. No one else wanted me in that company. And it was really, really wrong for me to be there. And I was actually doing well, but they just didn't want me there. And the, the EVP just really had it out for me. And he fired me after about six months. And I thought, oh my God, I'm just getting going. This is, this is terrible. And they fired me after six months. And I, I just felt so humiliated by the whole experience. I just wanted to forget about it. And, and I left it off my resume for a long time. And then I realized, you know, I learned a lot from that experience. I learned that I need to really honor myself, honor what I can do. Uh, I need to uh, honor my value as a professional and not 
kind of sell out to the first bidder who comes along. Uh, all sorts of stuff really came up out of that. And I, um, so I decided I was going to put it back on my resume and do some processing around the incident. And there's a technique that I use that I, that I, I suggest for other people to, to try, uh, which is a imaginary dialogue that I had between me and this guy who fired me kind of from the perspective of now and kind of saying to him, okay, so why did you fire me? What was going on? And then I kind of imagined him talking to me and saying, hey, look, it wasn't really personal, but you really were the wrong fit for this position. And you were hired by the CEO. He didn't consult me on this. There really wasn't a, there really wasn't a place for you. Uh, uh, so all sorts of reasons, which I kind of intuited in this imaginary conversation, but I think really were probably pretty accurate. So in the imaginary conversation, we come to this accommodation where we're able to kind of both part, not as friends, obviously, but with an understanding of what was going on, a sense of acceptance. And, and I, I mentioned this in detail because this is an example of a process that I, I can go through or will go through, or have gone through with clients in the past to try to piece together these bad experiences and get through them. Because guess what? As you're alluding to in your question, you don't want to be in an interview where you are hiding something, where you are unclear or unsure or unable to speak about your past um, with, with, uh, with an even tone and, and, and the sense of acceptance and positivity uh, around your experience. So that's just one example of, of how to deal with this, but it's a very, very important aspect of your career and, and really at any stage. I mean, you can be in your 30s and, and have a, a kind of a, a nugget of a bad experience that you don't want to talk about. You need to be prepared to address it. That's a really good point. And I was thinking about your answer, right? There's bad experiences. Everyone has bad experiences. I know I did before I do what I do now. Is it people say if you want to say be an insurance broker, you have to have insurance experience. You have to have knowledge of the industry and the necessary skills. When you're coaching people, do you tell them they need to have experience in that field before they get into it? Or how do you coach them to bring their value proposition to fit that industry or that career that they want to get into? Right, right. I think as you get older, the, the skills, um, well, this is a kind of an ideal situation. I think it depends on the company. But I think, I think if you're a... If you're a smart manager and you're looking around at your department or your division and you're trying to find a balance of skills and strategy and the wisdom to apply the skills, then you want people on your team who definitely are skilled, but there's going to be a mix, right? Uh, I mean, there's always one Excel jockey in, a, in any team, right? And, and he's the, or she's the go-to person if someone's got a, 
really dive deep into Excel. But not everyone has to be the Excel jockey, right? So just, just one example of, of uh, the need for a range of skill sets. Uh, soft skill sets, the ability to communicate, to deal with people, to understand um, uh, relationships, business relationships, and building those relationships, that's something that you acquire over time uh, within a particular industry or vertical. So I think as you get older, you're, you acquire more of that ability to understand the, the maze of business and where you turn left and where you turn right and uh, when to wait and when to jump. And uh, so that's a valuable consideration for a more experienced worker. And as part of a process where instead of necessarily going after open job positions exclusively that you find on job boards, that you're equally or more so relying on the relationships you have with people. My philosophy is that you want to be chasing those relationships first rather than chasing the job openings first because 85% of jobs are filled through referrals anyway. You may as well be referred to a job that can appreciate you for your whole person and not specifically or necessarily limit you to whether you have the skills or not. And that's why you harp so heavily on LinkedIn because yeah. you're able, you're able to build the value there where the job board, you're just another resume. And you know, if I have say a 3.5, but you have a 3.8, everything being equal, the person's going to take you. Yeah. 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 And that's why I say that, you know, in, in a, and I don't mean, I don't mean this as a, as a way of, of kind of doing any kind of uh, ageist demeaning of younger generations, but it's like sure. skills are for kids. You know, skills are really important when you're starting out to establish your value because it's the most quantifiable thing that you have to offer until you get more seasoned in your field and you build that experience of what it's like to close deals and to, you know, deal with different kinds of people and understand your competitors and all the fine points of expertise in a particular field it takes time to build that up. So while you're building that up, absolutely focus on your skills because your skills are going to get you into smart situations, but there's more to success than skills, judgment, strategy, uh, communication, uh, you know, all of these parts of the dance uh, are important. So uh, if, you, if you want to advance in your career in any field, yeah, start with the skills, keep the skills going, be strategic about learning new skills, about learning skills that affect your particular niche so that you know and can anticipate what's going to happen in your area by being up to date on the skills that are happening around you, but also focus on your relationships, uh, focus on um, you know, overcoming the politics and kind of getting your nose out of the politics, focusing on uh, supporting people, on giving of yourself, mentoring, uh, managing up, managing down, managing across, 
it, it, it's all about the relationships that you make um, on top of the skills that help you perform. It's a really great point. One thing I wanted to ask you, John, you mentioned soft skills, right? What's the difference between soft skills and hard skills for somebody who perhaps um, is looking to transition to another career or perhaps is just like starting to kind of find themselves? What's the main difference between the two? Well, hard skills are quantifiable, right? It's uh, you, you, it's, it's you know, back to Excel. It's like, uh, you know, do you, can you, can you work a pivot table in Excel? Uh, that's, that's a yes or no answer. Uh, but uh, how do you uh, develop a uh, relationship? How do you how do you lead a department of diverse people? Right? What's your communication style? Uh, do you understand that there are different kinds of personalities? And how do you deal with someone who is more of an introvert versus someone who's more of an extrovert? If someone is uh, not delivering on their uh, on their on their uh, responsibilities. Uh, why is that? Uh, is there some emotional block that they have? Uh, are they having a difficult time with a coworker? Uh, how do you approach someone like that? Do you just come in and say, if you don't deliver this uh, report to me by Friday, you're fired? Um, or do you say, hey, what's going on? Uh, uh, are you having a problem with this? Uh, is there anything I can do to help? Um, you know, those kinds of questions are the soft skills. That's the, you know, your ability to uh, be more uh, interpersonal, more sensitive, um, and more comfortable with the, the, the non-quantifiable, uh, but more qualitative aspects of work. And would you say for quantifiable skills, for say hard skills, right? Do you encourage the people that you consult to write down, you know, in a journal, perhaps one or two big accomplishments from a previous work experience, just to kind of make them stand out and be unique out of all the prospects that a recruiter say is looking at? Absolutely. And I think that again goes back to how you structure your, your LinkedIn profile in the about section uh, I, I encourage people to make that a three paragraph deal where the first paragraph is about why you do what you do and how you got into it and what inspired you to, to be in your field. And that middle paragraph is where you talk about just those, those experiences, those successes. And, but you also talk about it from the meaningful aspect. So, you know, uh, the uh, you know, you're talking about about uh, some of the films that I worked on when I was uh, working in, in in the industry, and uh, uh, you know Pink Floyd the Wall was uh, not only a great critical success, but it gave me an opportunity to take a project that when it started out was completely unknown. It was completely off everybody's radar. It was a whole generational thing. I mean, this is the eighties, right? So I'm, uh, you know, I'm 30 something years old and nobody that I worked for had any idea who Pink Floyd was, right? 
So, wow. right? I mean, it's like, oh, isn't it? It's a, it's a rock band, right? Um, so, uh, you know, it was a it was a, a very meaningful experience for me to help get that film made because there was a personal, creative, cultural stake in it. Uh, so that's why it has, that's why it holds meaning for me personally, as opposed to, yeah, it made a lot of money, right? Uh, so I think that's, you know, to your question about, about you know, this, this balance, uh, yeah, you, you want to be able to talk about uh, some of the key successes you had, and it, and it may be quantifiable, but it's because, you know, the, the, there's, a, there's a quantifiable success, you know, you, you doubled, you tripled, the, the ROI of, of this particular product over a short amount of time. Uh, but what was particularly sweet about that was the fact that this was a product that you grew up with and always wanted to work for the company that ma manufactured it. So it made it even better that you got to be successful with it. That kind of thing, right? Because you want to put that personal spin on the work that you do. People want to know why they want to they want to be able to trust you and understand how you how you work because that builds rapport and that at the end of the day particularly in a volatile economy that's what endures right it's your relationships with people and by putting you know your own unique spin on it by having a creative almost a creative hand in a project you take more pride in it Whereas maybe, you know, you're almost like Oz behind the curtain, right? You would make more, you perhaps you make more money that way, but you don't take as much pride in it and you almost feel a sense of shallowness because yep. you're like, is this really all life is? You know what I mean? Yeah, right. I also but, think that, you know, it's interesting. We, there, you know, it used to be that, that there was this mutual loyalty between companies and employees in this country. And there was, it was a bit of a paternalistic contract, but, but it was a contract that worked for many decades. And, uh, you know, it's gone. You know, you don't have this same sense of loyalty, of sense of, of grooming someone, whether it's blue collar or white collar, of grooming someone through the ranks and looking out for them and helping them with their family issues and, and, and giving them a break here and there and promoting them. And, you know, all that stuff is kind of gone. But ironically, we also value our ability to be personal with one another today, I think more than ever. So it's, it's, it's a strange picture, but I think, you know, your ability in work to describe what's meaningful to you uh, helps you get above the radar. And Back to the question of skills. If it's just about skills, then you, then you may as well hire an AI to do it. And, and unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of that going on. But if you want to kind of compete with the AI and with just the the the, the dry, quantifiable, uh, uh, you know, hardness of it, you want to be able to stand out as someone who finds meaning in their work because that's what's going to keep you on the job because you have the meaning. If you don't have, if it doesn't, have, it doesn't hold meaning, then why am I going to hire you? Right. You're just doing it for the bucks. And 
That means you're gonna go somewhere else. It means you're gonna be a pain in the ass to work with. It's not gonna be any fun. But if, if you're a fan of this stuff the way I am, and you're passionate about it, and there's a reason why you're doing it, then we're gonna get along. We're gonna share our successes uh, together. It's gonna to be great having a, having a beer after work when we close that deal. Um, you know, you want that. What's the greatest piece of advice you ever received? Oh, that is a good question. Um, the wheels are turning, I can tell. Yeah, the wheels are turning. Um, you know, I, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to say the, the worst piece of advice that I ever received was when I um, – I was in, it was early, early on. It was, it was, it was when I left my distribution job okay. and, um, and I was looking around for other, for other work and a, uh, I got a call uh, about going in on a, on a job in distribution for this other company. So it was, it was one company that wanted me to go in. It was actually a, a production company that wanted me to go into a studio and they were pitching me to take over some distribution role at that studio for them. And I went into the interview with the exec and he said, so tell me about yourself. I said, well, you know, I was in film school and I've been doing this job, da da da, we did this. And he said, yeah, but what do you really want to do? I said, well, you know, I really enjoy this. This is great. Uh, I said, but I'm also interested in development. I'm interested in this, I'm interested in that. He said, okay, well, look, you know, uh, good to meet you. I'm really not inter interested in doing what this company wants, but um, uh, it's good to meet you and, uh, uh, and thanks for coming in. Best of luck and just keep at it. So I, I go back to my office and I get a call from the other guy who set me up on the, on, the, on the job. He says, you betrayed us. I said, what do you mean? He said, you went in talking about production and development. I said, no, you know, he was asking me about me and what I want to do and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't saying that's what I want to do. I said, I'm happy to do distribution. But he said, look, let me give you a piece of advice. Stick to what you know. And I thought, and I think he may, may have even hung up on me. And I thought, oh, wow. And that really kind of upset me because just the tone of his voice was just so uh, cerbic. I thought, did, did, I, did, I, did I really betray him? You know, I, I don't think I did, but oh, wow, this is, this is upsetting. So, so I was kind of upset about that for a while. But I didn't agree with him, and, and I don't agree with him. And, and, and I would say, um, don't stick to what you know, right? Uh, uh, go for what you believe in and for what you aspire to. So I would say that's the kind of the, 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 that the positive out of that negative for me is believe in yourself. And by believing in yourself, you're embracing the fact that there are going to be challenges along the way, but you're able to almost, you know, go into that fear, knowing that right. nothing, even if you have the worst experience, the worst day of your life, it's only 24 hours. Right. It's always tomorrow. That's right. That's right. But if you have that sense that, look, I may have, I may have screwed up. Uh, this may be a 
kind of a, a swamp that I've gotten myself into and it's sticky and it's dragging me down. I've got to believe that that vision has some meaning, has some purpose and has some value. And which is not to say that it can't change and that you're not molded by your experiences and by events, but believe that you have what it takes to succeed if you just keep going, you just have to persist, right? And uh, what is the great Woody Allen line? It's like success is, is, is 90% about showing up, right? Just show up for yourself every day and you'll do fine. Thomas Edison said, genius is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. There you go. That's so right. when people look at John Tarnoff, right? When they look at your brand and what you stand for, what really, what's your core motivation? What really are the core values that enable you to do what you do and help people, you know, have fulfilling careers and, you know, have a sense of purpose in their life? Right. Well, I think what, what I think distinguishes the work that I do is that it's particularly in the career coaching field is that it is so, um, kind of skewed towards the personal development approach to career development, as opposed to the uh, kind of more typical HR uh, skills-based approach to, uh, to development. So I, I'm, I, I really, as you can tell from this conversation, I really advocate for a much more uh, narrative approach, a much more relationship-based approach, and it is more intensive and it is definitely challenging for people to look inside and to have the faith in themselves that if they go through this more internal process, there are going to be external results. Because we're so conditioned in our, in our society to uh, plug all of those external holes first and not really think about creating this more solid internal foundation. And I, I really believe that the internal foundation not only gives us the resilience we need, particularly as older workers, to endure through all of the ageism that's out there in the workplace and you know, other circumstances that are mitigating against us continuing to work when we need to work. But I think it also makes us more hireable because I, I think people expect more of an older worker. They expect someone who's been around for a long time to have a greater sense of maturity and wisdom about themselves and about the way the world works. And they expect them to be able to make more strategic decisions and not just take orders, but to really provide superior value. So I encourage people to find that value first and then to be able to express it and, and become a, a career magnet as opposed to a career seeker. That's a really, that really hit home because when 
I was looking for work, there were times where I struggled to find something that I really wanted to do. And it was Indeed and Monster and LinkedIn and ZipRecruiter every single day. And yeah. the way you articulated that so, so beautifully, it's by focusing on yourself, right? Not, not having, not trying to find an external solution to an internal problem. Focus on yourself first, fulfill that, and then that opportunity will come. Right. I think that's really, right. really powerful. You know, but it's, it's, it, it, it's not magic, right? It, the, it works because if you have a clear sense of who you are and what you do and what you want to do, it makes it so much easier for other people to help you and to hire you. Because then it's kind of a numbers game. It's like you're trying to find all of those people who are looking for what you provide uh, or who know people who are looking for what you provide. And I think one of the most difficult things that happens with, with, with people who are looking for a job, and I actually work on this a lot with, with my grad students, is that uh, they don't understand why people aren't helping them or referring them. And I say, because you're not making it easy. You're not telling them what you need. You're expecting them to, when they hear of a job that they think you're right for, they're going to call you. But they're not going to do that because they don't know what you're looking for. You haven't kept up with them. You haven't told them what you're focused on or what you're interested in. So they have no idea how to help, right? We all have to be really, really clear about that value proposition and be able to articulate it because then when you call someone up so here's the example it's like are you talking to people in your network well i really haven't talked to anybody in a while but they know me it's like no you've got to call call them up and say hey uh here's here's what i've been doing here's the value proposition i just want to put that kind of bug in your ear in case you hear of something now that person is prepared to help you out and they understand your value proposition. As a matter of fact, if you, if you distill it down well enough, they will be able to pitch you to someone else just the way you pitched yourself to them and you've got a marketing machine at your disposal now to go out there. So, you know, just think about the multiplication factors there of getting the word out and this idea of focusing on the internal and the external will manifest doesn't seem so airy-fairy anymore. It becomes really, really practical. It's increasing the amount of opportunities that you have by working smarter and doing it by multiplication instead yes. of addition. Yes. You're, you're leveraging the message and you have a consistent message and you're just getting that message out, the same message out every day in every conversation. And sooner or later, you're building up this critical mass and it's something snaps. And that's why your approach is so unique because you build, you focus so much on building relationships, giving value, working on yourself. But more than anything, you mentioned being narrative right? Being yeah. that storytelling. Do you think, why do you think in your opinion, storytelling is so critical to 
explaining your message? And do you think it's a lost art almost? Well, I, I think, I don't think it's a lost art. I think, I think a lot of people appreciate the value of storytelling. And, um, um, but I, I think it's, it's just something that I emphasize a lot as a reminder to all of us that we all love stories, right? We all, we're all working and dealing with stories every day. And our ability to tell that story about ourselves is critical, right? So just think about all the marketing messages that you see. They're, they're all the same in the sense that they're all structured the same. There is a character who has a problem and struggles to find the solution, and then life is great. Uh, so people want to know, again, this is back to the, LinkedIn about section. That's the perfect little narrative opportunity to go, you know, here, here was me as a, as a 14 year old with a paper route. And, uh, I fell in love with, uh, with, uh, I was, you know, reading the newspapers before I would deliver them. And, and that got me into journalism. And, uh, so I became a reporter, uh, I, I'm just making this up as I go along, but you know, you, you see where that's going and you engage your listener with that story. He knows who you are, why you do what you do. Um, and that gives you the platform to be able to talk about your accomplishments or your skills and it all makes sense. And then, Again, the, 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 the third aspect that I advocate for this is where are you taking it now? Because then that engages the reader in the present. It's like, ah, okay, here's how we can have a conversation. I agree with him about this thing that he wants to do, but I, I'm not so sure about that. I want to ask him the question, why do you believe that it's going in this direction? But guess what? That's the basis of a new relationship. And it's all because of a story. You definitely have taken the ball and run with it. You're very passionate about what you do. For you, how did you build this foundation? How much knowledge? It sounds, sounds like a dumb question almost because a lot of it comes with experience, but was there like a low point where you finally had like a moment where you're just like, oh, this makes sense now. And then that's when you started to really – yeah, it, it, it's, it's happened, uh, it's kind of more fits and starts. I think that I, I look back on things and, and there are certain little pieces that I kind of pick up, but I would say that the, 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 the real reinvention moment for me was when my startup uh, uh, went belly up at the end of the tech bubble in the 90s in 2001 and uh you know there was a there was a period of time where i remember being at a at a tech conference i think it was like april of 2001 and the nasdaq had dropped like 60 percent and the speaker was kind of made this this gallows humor joke he said well you know the the nasdaq has has dropped x percent he said if it keeps going at this rate in six weeks, we're all going to be dead because it, it was like going bad down to zero. I mean, it, it stopped at some point, but uh, it was a really rough year. And then, of course, 9-11 happened, and I'm trying to keep a 
small tech company going. And my partner and I, of course, in the midst of the, of the, uh, of this, of this downturn, you know, he and I are, are at each other's throats and he's kind of off in his office and I'm in my office. And, you know, it was like, it was like a nightmare and all sorts of other stuff was going on. But at some point, finally, and we, we kept the company going for about another year or so. And then we, we finally had to walk away from it. But I, I thought, what am I going to do now? And I really was at a crossroads and I had no, I, I didn't want to go back into the movie business in the same capacity that I had been before. I, I hadn't really kept up with a lot of people. I hadn't really been doing as much networking as I should have. I was really focused on this company and trying to make it work. And so I, I think that transition and then eventually, um, uh, you know, going back to school and getting my master's degree, I thought I've, I've got to, I've got to pivot. I've got to learn more about, about myself here. There's, there's gotta be something different that I need to do. I've got to change it up somehow. And I don't know where this is going, but I've, I've got to, I've got to give it one more shot. And uh, so I, I kind of, uh, I mean, I had a, young daughter and, and uh, my wife wasn't working at the time. And uh, so we remortgaged the house what was, for what was going to have to be the last time. Um, and uh, I went back to school and I got my degree. And in the midst of all of that, uh, I began to, I guess, follow these principles without really realizing that I was following them. But all I had was my internal process. And I would get up early in the morning and I would get on my, um, my exercise bike, uh, in the, in the, in the garage. And, uh, I would, I would pedal for about a half hour every morning just to kind of clear my head and deal with the anxiety. And I started journaling while I was on the bike. So I'd be kind of sitting on the bike and I'd hold my little notebook up and I, and I'd write in my journal. And I think that's probably where the, the seeds of this process began. And I, I realized that if I, would look, if, I, if I was comparing myself to other people and looking at what was going on on the outside, I was, I was dead. I was, I was completely sunk because, you know, that, that, was a, that, was a, that was a no-win situation to compare myself with others and other people who I had been in the business with who were successful at this point who had kind of kept on their particular path and it wasn't my path but i thought oh you know i wish i were them uh so i had to kind of keep that out of my mind i'd really had to focus on what was going on inside and just trust that somehow or other sooner or later something was going to click through this process and it eventually did and it, it kind of felt miraculous when it did, but I realized that it was this process that I've kind of been able to now characterize of, um, of you know, seeding for the future. And that what I was doing by focusing internally and kind of getting my ducks in a row and changing the way I was thinking about myself and talking about myself, that had this leveraged effect and sooner or later it connected out to other people who were able to say huh okay I, I get this guy i see where he's coming from oh we could use him here to help us with this thing 
that's a really powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's, you were at such a low point. It, I couldn't even begin to imagine like just the conversations, not only with your business partner saying, hey, we worked so hard to build this. Now we're going to have to just walk away and give it all up. But yeah. even to you know, your family also, like yeah. you, would you say they're your biggest inspirations for doing what you do now? You know, I haven't really thought about it this way, but I, I think certainly, I mean, I, I mean, I, unfortunately I'm, I'm divorced, but, but uh, so the marriage didn't last, but my daughter is definitely my biggest inspiration. I would say she's, she is definitely my biggest sustaining uh, force uh, in, in my life. Uh, and I, you know, not to, I mean, I, I, I fell in love again and, you know, living with my, my life partner now and we have a great life and very, very blessed and very fortunate. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. But, but I would say definitely in terms of that inspiration. Yeah. My daughter just kind of like, I mean, she kind of made it, made it through and, and found her own path and has, she's 27. She's a psychologist. Uh, she's doing great. And, uh, um, yeah. Um, that's that uh, she inspires me every day. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I, I definitely see it too. It's like she's a psychologist and your business approach is almost like a holistic healer. Like holistic healing, it's more, they don't just focus on physical fitness, but it's, more, it's mental, it's spiritual, it's how you interact with the world. Yeah. And yeah. it like, I'm thinking about I'm like, holy shit, this makes sense because it's not just what job do I want? Like you're diving deep. You're literally breaking down their house down to the foundation and then rebuilding them back up. In a yep. Proven yeah, path. It can be, it can be that, you know, I, I, I like to think that it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be quite so severe as that. Uh, I mean, I think that there are a lot of behavioral shortcuts like the journal, right. Which, which can, which can help uh, like, um, the kind of the mechanics of the LinkedIn profile. Um, and I, and I don't put myself out there as a psychologist. Uh, and I really do think that I am, I'm more suited as a coach because I really want to focus on, on practical solutions. And, and one of the things that I'm doing uh, now this year, beginning of 2020, is I'm focusing my content so much more on the practical, uh, and, uh, less on the kind of the aspirational or the philosophical. I think that's great to be able to understand what this is all about and why this works and the kind of the, the, the challenges that people have of maintaining their, their work life as they get older. And, but at the end of the day, it's like, can I get a job or not? Am I going to be able to earn income or not? How do I do that? And so I want to try to make this as accessible and practical and uh, in a funny way quantifiable uh, so that you know here are the here are the handful of skills that I suggest you learn and practice every day and make this into a lifestyle right a kind of a reinvention lifestyle and apply this not just in the process of looking for a job deciding what you want to do getting the job closing the deal, but bring that to your process every day. So don't use your network just to get a job. Use your network every day in your job, right? 
build that build that thing every day. Uh, don't don't use the journal just to figure out who you are and 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 um, uh, process through all the anxiety of of being out of work. Use it every day to help you solve the problems that are going to invariably come up and help prioritize uh, what uh, what you have to do and deal with. Uh, uh, inner conflicts or relationship issues that you need to work out. Uh, all of these tools are really practical um, skills that you can use and should use in your day to day. And to build on that a little bit more, how personally do you coach your people to, you know, shatter the limiting beliefs that they have personally and build the self confidence to be able to just attack and just conquer anything that comes in their way professionally or personally. Right. Well, I encourage it. I mean, I think it, it's, it's difficult because everyone's got their own agenda, right? And their own, everyone's at, at, at their own stage of development in terms of being receptive to this kind of information. So I respect that. And I think that everyone has got to um, uh, find their own path with this and find their own pace with this. So frankly, I, I will see people who are laboring under a, a significant set of limiting beliefs and are either unwilling to see that these are limiting beliefs or just unwilling to, to blow past them. And I'll, I'll give you an example of a guy I was working with last year who, great guy, uh, but he was, lamenting the, and this is before COVID, but he was lamenting the fact that uh, uh, people didn't go and have lunch anymore in his business. And, and when he was kind of growing up in, in his field, uh, taking clients out to lunch was kind of the norm. And he was saying, young people today don't go out to lunch anymore. And how do you build a relationship with someone if you're not able to kind of go and, and hang out with them at lunch. And I said to him, it's two things. It's, it's not lunch anymore. It's coffee and it's LinkedIn. And he said, Oh, you know, why, you know, you know, LinkedIn again, you're talking, you're pushing LinkedIn. And I said, yes, because you've got to change with the times. You've got to realize that people don't have the time to spend going out for an hour and a half or two hours to kind of hang out at lunch when it's all on your profile. And if you want to get together for coffee for 15, 20 minutes here and there to catch up and have a little bit of FaceTime, great. But you, you got to adapt to this. And instead of complaining about it, figure out how to make it work for you. So I think he's still lamenting about lunches, but I think he's doing a little bit better. And there you go. Well, he has all the time in the world for the past two and a half, three months to make all the lunch he wants. <laughs> but it, it brings up a good point. I was thinking about this for a while now. It's like there's three things that are inevitable in life. Death, taxes, and change. Every, everyone dies. It's a matter of, you know, what's your legacy going to be when you go? Yep. Taxes, well, hey, Uncle Sam, right? right. And then change we're always changing for better or worse. It's going to happen. And it's a yeah. matter of how can you adapt and put the, your best product out there? Right. It's almost like being a chameleon. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, older people get a bad rap about unwillingness to change. And I think it's out there. I think it's true. But I think just as much as there are people who are unwilling to change, I think surprisingly for a lot of people, uh, older people can be the most willing to embrace change because in a sense, in that sense, they don't really have anything to lose by changing, right? It's like, why not? Right. Let's, let's, let's try more stuff. It's like the bucket list. It's like, yeah, let's, let's experiment. You know, uh, if, if, if you've kind of aged with a positive attitude about yourself and you've been willing to grow and, uh, and, and open up to the value of more meaning and purpose and, and legacy as you're talking about, uh, then change is just kind of, it's like, yeah, it's like, let's like flip to a new channel, right? Let's check this one out. So I think change is great uh, and uh, for, for older people. Uh, it kind of keeps you young to, uh, to be able to embrace it and to uh, uh, adapt to it. 100%. In regards to, say, there's this catch-22 when finding careers. In order to get a job, you have to have experience. But if you want to get experience, you need to have a job. So how do you how do you get people to overcome that stigma? And how more importantly do you get the people that you consult, that you coach to overcome the age bias? Right. Well, I think yeah, you know, the typically the the how do you get experience if you don't have a job and how do you get a job if you don't get experience is, is something that happens at, at younger ages. But I think you're making a good point that it does happen at an older uh, age when you're trying to uh, pivot to the second act career and you've just kind of perhaps been slammed to the ground in your first act career. Um, so it, it is like everything else that I feel like I talk about, it is a multi-layered process. And, and it does, at the end of the day, come back down to people and to relationships. Uh, because at some point, you, you're, you're trying to build confidence and trust with people through your actions. And if you are committed to a particular skill set, a, a, a job, a role, uh, and you are doing everything you can to learn about that, to immerse yourself in that, hang out around that, find information, meet people, talk to people. Uh, sooner or later, sooner than later, you're going to find some entry point into that world. It may be shadowing, it may be interning, it may be some pre-condition before you actually get hired. But it's like what I say to people about gap periods in their, in their, in their life and their resume. Never say on LinkedIn that you're looking for new opportunities. Never say you're unemployed. Uh, 
and always be consulting in between gigs, right? Always represent yourself as engaged in the profession that you do and the value proposition that you deliver. Even if you don't have an income coming in or an employer paying you because you want to convey this impression that you're not just hanging out and, you know, sipping martinis waiting for the phone to ring. You know, you're out there meeting people, learning about your field, uh, engaging in issues that are important and relevant to the success of your industry, uh, of the role that you perform. You're learning more stuff. You're perfecting your skills. You're learning new skills. You're active and proactive. And that sends the signal that you're serious, you're trustworthy, and people are going to want to deal with you. And they may say to you, hey, look, I would hire you in a split second, but you need this certification. And then your response would be, okay, um, that's good to know. If I went out and got this certification, but you, weren't, you were not in a position to hire me for whatever reason, would other people also want that certification? So is that certification something that's gonna help me out across the board? And if the answer is yes, then maybe it's something that you wanna do. Another thing to say would be, look, um, how about if we, if you're, if you're that interested in me and you believe in me and all that's saying, all that's, all that's, that's standing in the way of you hiring me is the certification, can we kind of meet in the middle? Is there something that I can do, you know, part-time, internship basis, uh, kind of a trial basis for the next three months while I get the certification so that I don't lose you and you don't lose me. And at the end of the three months, if I get the certification and everything else is the same, you're going to hire me. And if I fall down and don't get the certification, well, you know, you're not under any obligation. So just that kind of creative negotiation process. And I'm, I know I'm getting a little bit in the weeds here, but it kind of gives you an idea to think of, 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 of what some people can do, what some of the approaches can be to address that situation. 100%. Severance packages have shelf life. But if you pivot, if you, it's almost like you're saying pivot and frame yourself as a consultant, even if there's a transition in employment and you are looking for it, Frame it in a positive way where you can say, hey, like, even if this is the top where I need to have a certification, that's what you shoot for. Right. So that way you have wiggle room to work with and then say, hey, you know what? Maybe I can do an internship. You know what? Can I do like a trial basis where I'm giving you essentially free value, even if I'm not getting paid as much, yep. I can put that in and say, hey, I did this, you know in my transitional period, this is what I bring to the table. Yep, and you can put that on your resume. Right? It's all coming full circle here, John. Yep, it does. I just have um, a, couple, well, a couple things also that I had on my mind. Um, in regards, you know, we talked about value proposition, right? And we went really deep into that. and you know, building an identity. Um, there's also, I've heard a lot about an elevator pitch. Can you just really quick explain that 
to, to me, but also to the people, you know, who are looking for an ideal career, especially with like this whole COVID-19 thing mm-hmm. panning out and how to create an ideal elevator pitch. Sure. So, you know, the elevator pitch is, comes from the idea of, you know, you're in the elevator and there's the boss and, you know, you got 30 seconds to, to lay out your plan and then the doors are going to open and he's going to be gone. So you want to be able to state it. I mean, my formula for the elevator pitch is you start with the solution uh, and to the problem. So uh, would you be interested in finding the solution to problem X? Or I know this is a big concern to the company. Um, are you looking to, to find this particular solution? The answer is obviously yes. And then you, you go from that into not the solution itself, but the transformation. At the end of the day, you know, you're looking for this to take place and this to take place and this to take place, right? So the process that I'm going to suggest to you uses this factor, that factor, another factor to get there. Are you interested in learning more? And by that time, you're... 30 seconds has elapsed, the elevator doors are opening, and the boss says, absolutely, call my office and set up a meeting. And that's, and you're in. So that's kind of classic elevator pitch. But the point of the elevator pitch for me is also that it helps you get a clearer sense and a more contained and intensified sense of what your value proposition is. Because you can use this elevator pitch a lot. You know, you can use it on your LinkedIn profile. You can use it as an intro in your in any networking situation that you get into when you're introduced to someone. Uh, you can use it in an email. Um, you know, the ability to just really concisely know what it is that you provide and what you solve for um, is great. Gets people's attention gets them focused on you. It's an important aspect of your career development process. You had to give a big piece of advice. If you could go back in time, right, and talk to, say, your 20-year-old self, your younger self, what piece of advice would you give that person and why? Well, it's, it's back to the, the, you know, the biggest lesson, and, and that is, and it sounds... It sounds kind of, uh, uh, you know, Pollyanna-ish to say, but uh, believe in yourself. Don't be discouraged. Don't take it personally. And how do you, so take the emotions out of business? Because at at the end of the day, it's it's all bottom line. The bottom line is the bottom line. And you want to find a fulfilling career. But how do you, is there anything in particular that you tell your people to take the emotions out of it and tell them, hey, look, you, you have to see it from this perspective? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, the, the, this goes back to the top and to the idea of, of me being fired 39% of the time. Um, you know, it's hard not to take it personally when you get fired, right? Uh, it's one of the most one of the three or four most traumatic events that can happen to any of us. But it's not about who we are. 
in, in no way is it about who we are. It may have been about what we did, but what we do is not who we are, right? Um, who we are is deeper. It is more all-encompassing. What we do is temporary. It's a behavior. You can change behaviors. You can learn from your behavior. So I think the first step there is in, in not taking it personally is to understand this distinction between identity and behavior. And if you can uh, carve that out and understand that you are not your behavior, that your behavior on a certain level was a choice, and you can make a different choice, this is an opportunity to learn something so that you can make a better choice next time. It becomes an uplifting experience and sooner or later you can you can get behind that you know maybe may take some time because sure there's a there's a physical shock to the system that comes with a loss and losing a job is a big loss so you got to give yourself time physically in your body to recover from that loss while at the same time realizing that if there is a behavior involved somewhere in there you have an opportunity to change that behavior. So, you know, depending on how deeply you want to analyze it and back to the journal again, back to the ability to every day go, okay, let me look at this from a different angle. You know, why did they fire me? You know, I was doing so well. I did this and this. And why don't they appreciate the fact that I did this and this and this for them? And, and they're just, they're just uh, picking on this one thing that I did and well, maybe as you keep talking about this, you realize that that one thing, <laughs> you know, screwed up a lot of stuff. And that, you know, given the precariousness of your department, your department head, they needed to make an example of someone and that someone just happened to be you. You know, I'm just, I'm just, spinning this as we as we're discussing this here but you know it allows you to take that step back and little by little I, I encourage everyone to take that step back and to really process through this and understand that again if there is a behavior to change you can change behavior it's a great closing closing statement and a message right there it's you're not it's a lifelong process to build yourself as the final product yeah and you know you are not your resume at the end of the day you are a lot more than your resume and this is why again i i, I think linkedin is such an important tool because linkedin gives you an opportunity to share that you are more than your resume you are a whole person with lots of resources, talents, abilities, interests, um, and that uh, that gives you the leg up, right? If you're able to fully express all of those aspects of who you are, as well as what you do, and for what purpose, and to whose benefit you do it, then you're on a good path to the next step in your career. 100%.
hundred percent. It's definitely the encore to the two man rock show here. All but, right. John, I wanted to thank you for hopping on. This is Steve Zekas, the Snatcher Suave, host of the One Only Dominates Deal podcast. Signing off with John Tarnoff here for right now. Uh, any any closing comments? Any people you wanted to mention or shout out to? Sure. So if you're interested in uh, learning more about me and my practice, uh, I have a great ebook, uh, free ebook on offer, and you just go to go.johntarnoff.com/slash ultimate and uh, you will get the uh, link to download this ebook and it talks about all sorts of stuff it's really comprehensive and uh, it's not just a little cheat sheet it's a it's a real deal ebook and um, it'll go through a lot of the skills that I talk about in the conversation today uh, that uh, that will help point you in a solid direction in your career uh, regardless of how old you are, actually, these are these are skills that apply to anyone in the uh, in the career development space. So again, it's go.johntarnoff.com/ultimate. Hundred percent. I, I just wrote it down, actually, so I didn't forget because I'm definitely going to take a look at it to see how I can really improve myself. But until next time, folks, stay strong. Stay confident in yourself, believe in yourself, as John has mentioned throughout our episode here, forge your own path, and kick COVID's ass. I'll see you all soon. Thank you, John.